What up, HyperChange? Today we're having some fun. I'm gonna show y'all my personal investment portfolio. Um, it's a video I make every so often just to kind of let y'all behind the scenes what I'm actually doing with my money. Um, a little bit personal, but I don't know. I, you know, my whole channel documenting my investing journey. So I feel like why not kind of open it up one by one, go through my biggest investment positions, sort of explain my thinking behind each one, why my portfolio is set up the way it is. Um, and yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I, the last time I did this was in uh, November 2019. Uh, this is what my portfolio looked like. Uh, Tesla, Bitcoin, uh, Arkimoto and Snap Maker, um, a couple of random startups that I invested. I mean, honestly, not bad. I'm not gonna lie. If you if you you can check yourself the performance of uh, Bitcoin and Tesla and Arkimoto and Snap since then, and even Maker. But yeah, it was it's been an epic ride. And so uh, I think my overall strategy before we jump into where my positions are at right now, I think is a super high level. Um, you know, very concentrated portfolio. Um, and remember, nothing in the show is financial advice. Nothing in HyperChange ever is financial advice. Um, but I just kind of wanted to, you know, fill you in on my portfolio and, you know, extremely concentrated positions uh, where I have the highest conviction, where I've spent the most time doing research or typically my largest positions. I like to hold for an extremely long time, uh, sort of like a Warren Buffett-esque mentality, like buy and hold. Uh, you know, when I buy a stock, assume the market closes for five years. Do I really want to hold that asset? So thinking very long term um, about my investments. And I think you'll see that when you see my new portfolio, like my investments haven't really changed um, that much at all. Let's just jump into it. This is my personal portfolio. We've expanded from seven positions to 20 positions. And in this one, I'm going to be able to talk a lot more about my startup investing because uh, that's sort of been a new side of my brain and in investing life that is hard to talk about on the channel because a lot of it's like, oh, I'm doing deals with this startup. They don't want me to talk about investing in them. Uh, it's kind of secret until the funding comes out. And then, you know, I've already made my video on them. So I don't have a, a really good opportunity to talk much about that. So I want to do that today um, and kind of go through the startups I'm investing in because originally I was, you know, my investment strategy basically up until 2020 was literally pour every single incremental cent for my YouTube channel into Tesla stock. Um, and that worked really well. But then as Tesla stock has started soaring through mid-2020, um, I started to use that and sort of I've gotten re, you know, just really fascinated by the startup game. Uh, so much cool stuff happening, so many amazing entrepreneurs, and just the network of hyperchange introducing me to them has led to some really cool opportunities to sort of build essentially a venture capital portfolio for myself or angel investment portfolio, whatever you want to call it, of some really cool companies uh, that I can't wait to show you about. Some of you already know if you follow the channel. But anyway, let's just jump into it. So position number one, Tesla. Um, obviously still like 70% of my portfolio, biggest position. Um, I haven't sold any stock since my last video except uh, 75 shares, I believe, that I sold around 500 bucks a share um, post-split, which be because I wanted to buy my Model Y, my Hypership. Um, the only reason I would have ever sold some Tesla stock, I just, I love my Hypership. It's incredible. Best purchase. I know Tesla stock's gone up since then, but I don't regret it. Um, but yeah, Tesla, I mean, I think the best way to describe Tesla is I really do not think about this as a car company. It's a collection of assets and startups. Um, I think it's really an energy company holistically changing the ways we produce, store, and consume energy. That trifecta and that flywheel to me is a $10 trillion problem and growing in our economy. And I think Tesla is the leading technology um, of propulsion for the 21st century. I'm talking about that 4680 battery cell. I'm like, where is it? I have one back there. But um, my 4680 battery cell, uh, I just think that, you know, the 46 Tesla hasn't even sold a single car with their battery cell in it yet they're already crushing it doing billions in earnings tens of billion in revenue uh my Q4 estimates which I just put a video on values the company around four or puts the company's uh current run rate based on Q4 at about 43 billion in revenue 5 billion operating income so when you look at a company that's worth 850 billion based on the current market cap that's like 20 times sales for a car maker uh you know 150 times whatever price ebit ratio normalized I mean or based on the current run rate I get that that makes no sense um and I just think part 
of it is the awakening. You know, I, I, th that's what I've been calling sort of this new era where I think equity assets, technology companies, sort of these forward-thinking assets um, are becoming a lot more valued and coveted. People just don't want to hold their wealth in fiat. That's hundreds of trillions of, or a couple hundred trillion dollars um, of wealth that is slowly kind of leaching out into other assets. You know, that's real estate, art, collectibles, or U.S. technology equities um, or startup stock. I just think that's kind of a rational move. I mean, I'm someone who's never held cash and believed that innovation was severely underpriced in the public markets. And so I think, you know, that's part of the reason of Tesla is it's not an auto company that makes a super low RIC that's not innovating, that's not growing. That's why there was a low PE ratio and low price sales ratio on automotive companies in the past. Tesla is truly a uh, long-term secular energy growth uh, play or long-term secular energy growth play on this new clean energy economy. The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. We're all still burning fossil fuels. That needs to all change. I think Tesla's in the in the midst of creating one of the largest companies on the planet. Already is becoming one of the largest companies at a planet at an $850 uh, billion valuation. Like it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around how fast Tesla's gone up. Like I never would have thought this would have happened because I put out my Tesla to a trillion uh, video back in February of 2020, I want to say. I was in Austin. I planned it when it was, Tesla was like a $35 billion market cap. It was like a $60 billion market cap by the time I presented um, in Austin. Shout out to everyone who came. It was so, such a fun uh, presentation. But that was my thesis of like, Tesla's worth a trillion. I'm holding on for the long run. I think we easily got 10 or 15x upside here. So now basically all of that has happened. Like literally I'm making this, uh, I, I'm recording this at Monday. All my uh, stats are at Monday's close closing prices. Tesla's worth like $850 billion, so almost a trillion dollars already. Um, hard to fathom, but so I've had to kind of re-rate my thesis, and I think part of it is, A, I don't want to hold cash, so I don't want to sell Tesla and just keep, hold it in cash. I would never do that. Um, B, I think, uh, you know, there is a true value in the awakening. I just think there's a true, essentially, inflation that's occurred for all high-value assets, so I want to price that in as well. Um, and I also just think Tesla is so early in its growth trajectory, and it's not just about uh, scaling the EV, EV business, which I think can hit 100 or 200 billion in just sort of hardware revenue, but I think it's the software robo-taxi component, which I think is hundreds of billions of extremely high margin revenue, justifying a trillion dollar market cap alone just from that robo-taxi kind of project that I think is going to succeed maybe in the next three or four years, um, a truly autonomous car, and just the, the platform that that will cause so many applications, trillions of dollars in market cap is my guess that will get created on the back of that. You talk about what Tesla's going to do in home HVAC, uh, not just reinventing the way that we, you know, produce the energy we consume, but how we consume a lot less because our homes are way better insulated. We have smart heating and cooling, way more efficient heating and cooling. Uh, look at the new heat pump system, my Model Y, that Octavalve is such a crazy innovation in heating technology. Um, I think Tesla's on the cusp and Elon Musk has been scheming on this HVAC product for a while. So I think Tesla's really um, just a business that's frankly nowhere near maturity. And uh, I think they're really a few trillion dollars problem. So, you know, am I still going to get another 10 or 15x upside on Tesla? Maybe in like the next decade. Um, so it's definitely a lower IRR than what I would typically go for. Like I typically look for stocks that are like 100x, 10x, you know, 50x, like really early game-changing growth stories. But Tesla, I don't know, I kind of have a sentimental value for Tesla. And I will kind of acknowledge that it's moved into like large cap, a little bit less exciting from a growth standpoint phase because so much is priced in uh, and the valuation is just so high. And frankly, believing in Tesla is not a contrary and take anymore. But I still think this is um, a multi-trillion dollar company in the making, one of the best run technology companies in the world. Who knows what they're going to invent next? Elon Musk, a decade of his prime or three decades of his prime left. I mean, we're just in the early innings here. And uh, this is, you know, invest in the future you believe in. I think that's something that I I'm so like Tesla to me. Uh, I walk outside my house. I see 
most of the cars are still getting burning gas if they're not a Tesla. All the roofs aren't collecting solar. We're still burning fossil fuels with trucks and deliveries and all that stuff. Like Tesla still has a long way to go to really fulfill its mission. Um, and I think the business is going to get a lot bigger in in changing all of these and solving all of these problems that we see around us. You know, I've I've said sometimes Tesla is like a never expiring call option on the smartest inventor alive, Elon Musk. Um, and I really really think that's to be the case. And I think the perfect example of that is this robo taxi initiative. I mean like Amazon, Apple, everybody's desperately trying to copy this robo-taxi vision that Elon Musk said and everyone thought was crazy until a few years ago because this is the next trillion dollar platform. Uh, this is going to be the biggest thing to change our economy. I mean, it's such a big moment for us to go from humans driving to cars driving, the, the safety uh, going up 10x of being in a car, the cost of getting around in a car going down 10x. I mean, this is a serious game changer uh, for the entire simulation slash economy. Um, and that's just an example of a vision Elon Musk had. And to me, Tesla, in many ways, could be looked at as an option on never expiring call option on this robo taxi future, which to me is, you know, a few trillion dollars in market cap. So Tesla, 850 billion is just a lotto ticket for a 33% chance at this multi trillion dollar robo taxi thing. Like that's some kind of really weird math that I think, um, just makes me want to hold on to this stock because uh, I see, you know, I see the bit. It's not like we're waiting on Elon Musk to invent his HVAC thing to get us to a trillion dollar market cap. It's like, no, it's the RoboTaxi thing. It's coming. FSD beta is already out. So uh, I just think Tesla is a, is a really special company. Um, and this whole idea that like a trillion dollars is the max for a tech company, I mean, it's just a fiat number. It's just a number. Like it doesn't mean anything. There's going to be a, a ton of trillion dollar companies in the future. And there's it's only a matter of time before it's the first $10 trillion company. It doesn't mean anything. So I think Tesla is just setting a new paradigm. And when I think about the TAM of companies, um, I just think there's almost nothing bigger except for the digita digitization of humanity um, than the energy usage of humanity. And I would say the energy usage of humanity is tied to the digitization as well. As we get more digital, as we come up with new crazy technologies, our demand for energy only increases. Um, therefore, the value of that energy play only increases. So I think Tesla is, you know, it's not a car company. It's an energy uh, flywheel company. And and honestly, an AI company as well. Like when you think about their AI day that they could have, I mean, what else could they come up with besides robo taxis um, leveraging their AI? Who knows? Uh, but when I think about the future of Tesla, I mean, there's so many just, it's, it's. Um, I, I don't know. So Tesla's my number one position. I love Tesla. I'm obsessed with Tesla. I think Elon's the best CEO in the world. Um, I think they're doing the right thing. Tesla, 70% of my portfolio. Moving down, number two. Bitcoin, 9% of my portfolio. I bought a little bit. Uh, actually, I bought a good amount since my last video. Stayed about equal weight. I think it was 11% in the last video. And like, it's kind of funny because everything looks like a super small percentage of my portfolio because Tesla went up so much. Um, but actually, I guess Bitcoin went up a huge amount too. So Bitcoin, I mean, you know, I think Bitcoin is truly, uh, you know, in the in the pie of at global assets. I think a decentralized algorithm-based uh, cryptocurrency is a huge slice of the pie, trillions of dollars of value. Gold sucks as an inflation hedge, hard to move. We've tried to digitize that asset as much as we can with ETFs and stuff. Um, and even so, it's a, a multi-7, $10 trillion market. Is this, this kind of weird inflation hedge. I think Bitcoin's really better at that. Um, and becomes a $10 trillion asset just as this kind of inflation hedge, sort of theoretical G-check on the fiat system. Um, and I think it has the leading brand equity, the Lindy effect. It's been around the longest. It has tens and tens of millions of wallets. Jack Dorsey's putting it in every single person's pocket with Square and Cash App. Um, the smartest developers are building on Bitcoin. Uh, it's getting institutionalized. BlackRock is scheming on they might launch an ETF. It's only a matter of time before a direct Bitcoin ETF gets launched. So I think we're in, we've already seen the institutionalization of Bitcoin start. I just saw MicroStrategy CEO who I had on the channel post another company. Um, I think it was Marathon Patent Group. Not that dope, but still another company that was adding Bitcoin to their treasury. So 
Bitcoin is quickly becoming institutionalized as this asset. Um, and I see it under a trillion dollars right now of value. Like, I just think this is, a, when I'm recording this episode, it's like $300 million or $33,000, $32,000 of Bitcoin. It's about $600 billion market cap. I mean, it's still a 10x to get to that $6 trillion. I still think that's an underpriced target. So I don't know, even though it's, it sounds crazy and really simple, but I just think that a, a native programmable internet currency for the internet is ripe for uh, just, it's a massive opportunity. I think Bitcoin has shown um, to be one of the most successful economic experiments of all time, frankly, since its inception a little over a decade ago, to processing billions of dollars a day, to becoming globally known as this cryptocurrency, to becoming institutionalized, held on public company balance sheets, uh, the smartest developers in the world flocking to help build applications on top of it. Uh, I just think we're in the early innings of what Bitcoin could be. And when I think about how the future unfolds the next 10 years, I see fiat getting less relevant, paper, I mean, duh, and Bitcoin, this native programmable software money that's blowing up with the smartest people in the world, Jack Dorsey, um, you know, all these coders integrating it into their, you know, consumer-facing apps that change the world or everyone in the world uses. I mean, to me, uh, I just think it's, when you think about, take a step back and you're like 10 years, oh, this little idea of these crypto assets that were moving money, that were this new programmable way to do things natively in software, like, yeah, that's totally going to blow up. So I don't know. That's kind of my thesis on Bitcoin. I think I have the, the back of the napkin thesis to do the gold the gold calculation. And eventually I do think if layer two takes off, we're talking about tens of trillions of dollars, not just the single digit trillions. So Bitcoin, even though it's huge and gone up so much, uh, I truly believe a million dollars in fiat per Bitcoin will be a thing. I've always told my homies, you better be a Bitcoinaire and have at least one Bitcoin that'll be the new millionaire by the you know when i was i feel like a millionaire is not even cool anymore but when i was growing up uh like five or ten like 20 years ago i don't know i'm 28 i just turned 28 but uh i feel like a millionaire was the thing now a millionaire it's like is he even that rich i don't know like um barely afford, afford the spacex roadster right no but uh, i think a bitcoinaire will be the new thing and so i think a million of bitcoin uh, it's a 21 trillion dollar network value in fiat in today's prices easily achievable in the long term 30x upside even that sounds ridiculous i don't know that's my back of the napkin calculation on bitcoin um, the energy consumption of Bitcoin is something that I've been thinking a lot about, but I do think my, my comment to that is all financial systems that we use today in the world, um, have an energy cost associated with them. So you have to factor that in and B, the, uh, energy usage per dollar moved on the network is dropping dramatically. This is a point that no Bitcoin skeptic I've ever heard acknowledge. So if you're a Bitcoin skeptic and you talk about the energy usage, like that's the epitome of the stagnation fallacy. If you look at Bitcoin, the average transactions going from like a thousand to like a hundred thousand, that's a hundred X improvement in the energy efficiency per dollar moved on the network. And to me, that's only going to increase as layer two scales. So I think the kind of energy usage of Bitcoin is a little bit short-sighted, especially when I go around to all my neighborhoods and I look around and there's like four banks in every neighborhood. There's like four humans that are walking around emitting carbon in every bank, doing useless stuff, printing out paper. I mean, the amount of waste that the current financial system has, I think really needs to be factored in to that equation. But that's something I'm really thinking about because obviously as someone who's like kind of a self-proclaimed tree hugger, I'm very passionate about the fact that we should be, you know, really watching our energy consumption. Anyway, SpaceX. Moving to position number three, SpaceX is, uh, and I've said this is the largest check I've ever wrote because it was at the time. Uh, it's about 6%, 6.3% in my portfolio right now. Um, but SpaceX, I mean, I got the opportunity to invest in SpaceX. Um, shout out to Jay Filchi, shout out to Fourth Realm. Uh, basically a friend of a friend had a friend who was basically willing to do them a favor and sell a really small chunk of SpaceX stock. So I had to create an LLC 
Um, this is my first time creating an LLC, special purpose vehicle, basically shell company where me and five homies moved in all our money. We moved in our money to this uh, vehicle that bought into this other fund that owns SpaceX. So we're an LLC that owns an LLC that owns SpaceX shares. So that's how I'm investing in SpaceX. Had to pay massive fees, 8% upfront, 10% carry. Um, it is what it is. That's the price you got to pay to get in. I got in at 240 Series C. So I tried to mark it up a little bit to 320 per share, but I think it's actually a lot higher than that. So I've kind of probably underpricing my SpaceX investment, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> but I think SpaceX is going to a trill. I'm actually about to make a video about that. Um, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, didn't want to let that leak, but now you know. And uh, I think SpaceX, I mean, the uh, I just think they were significantly underpricing their own equity. I think they have this valuation like you know, Elon really didn't want to go public with SpaceX. He had a really tough time with Tesla. And so he had this programmatic increase in valuation plan for SpaceX and these private auctions. Like SpaceX built their own private software to do auctions of employee stock and secondary so that employees could get liquidity for their shares because they're huge and so could early investors. Um, so through that, you can kind of find someone who had access to the cap table early who wants to get out and buy their stuff. But anyway, my point is that SpaceX hasn't let their equity float. If they let their equity float, this is a $200 billion company instantly. My portfolio, my position like quadruples instantly. So that's my theory. I think SpaceX is worth probably more than 200 billion if they float the shares. Um, and I think one of the, so, but anyway, my point is Elon Musk had this trajectory of raising prices, 30 billion, 40 billion, 50 billion every year or whatever, way too low. The awakening happened. Multiples expanded. Tesla blew up. Everyone had the Elon Musk halo effect on every company. I mean, it was just too cheap. So I made my biggest investment ever this summer. I was luckily able to get a couple of homies in as well. Actually, I do got to give a shout out to um, Vincent from Testmanian because he was one person that I tried to get in and like was super down and I couldn't. So I still feel kind of bad for that. But anyway, I think he got in anyway. So shout out Vincent. But um, SpaceX, why do I think SpaceX is such a good buy? I mean, a couple three to $4 billion of a launch business, is that worth a $50 billion uh, market cap? Probably not, but they own... Uh, technology. You know, I, I want to invest in technology because I think financial monetization is a lagging indicator of how incredible technology works. Uh, look at Tesla, you know, they've yet, they've came up with this 4680, they haven't even sold a single one, yet I think their investors are accurately pricing in the value of that technology into their equity. And so I think SpaceX uh, going to space is a forcing function. Uh, going to Mars will be the greatest forcing function of innovation in the entire history of humanity. That's right. I'm going to say that again. Going to Mars will be the forcing function for the most innovation in the history history of humanity. So what does that mean? When you have to go to space, you have to solve all of these challenges. What was the first challenge that SpaceX had to solve to get to space? Reusable rockets, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, status quo, giants of the industry say you can't do that, impossible. We have to shoot up a rocket and blow it up every single time. It's like, of course, we're not going to hit Star Wars level if we're doing that. Elon's like, let's do it. We got to make rockets reusable. So he does that. Um, and actually drops the cost of launching stuff into space by 10x. So the technology of that reusable rocket isn't worth that much just launching up more stuff to space, but now that unlocks the possibility to launch 14,000 low Earth orbit satellites in a constellation that would have never before been cost feasible, along with some innovations in satellite design. And you could have this crazy internet service, maybe we'll call it Starlink, um, that could be worth 100 multi-hundreds of billions of dollars so even though this $3 billion launch business doesn't justify the valuation, to me, when I was buying in at 38 to 40 billion, I'm like, okay, well, to me, Starlink is going to be a $100 billion company in the bag if it works. And at the time, there was already a couple hundred satellite, Starlink satellites in the sky. There was the rumors of the beta program going out that it was working really well. So I don't know. I took a risk and I just love Elon Musk. Once again, I think I bet on the jockey, not the horse. Give a shit factor of the CEO is like the number one thing I'm looking for. Um, how much does he care? Elon Musk cares so much. The smartest people in the world are either working at Tesla or SpaceX. Um, I just think SpaceX is 
so early in it. And I know we have launches and Starlink now, but I just, I, I, I want, I'm so convinced that there are so many other businesses that will pop out of SpaceX um, because of that forcing function of going to Mars um, that are just going to be incredible. And I think the amount of value, uh, just to give another flavor, like satellites have extremely hi highly efficient solar panels on them. So what kind of breakthroughs in solar technology could we have? It's basically a little Tesla on that little satellite so it can fly around um, that could eventually be monetized for electric vehicles or for the solar roof. Like, there's so many different ways that SpaceX could go. It's so early. I think it's a trillion dollar company in the making. Um, I think the second they float this stock, it's going to triple or quadruple. The, the spin out of Starlink will s s just be a, I, I don't know, it's going to be a total game changer for SpaceX. I've made a ton of videos about this before. If they spin out Starlink, use that as the ATM to fund core SpaceX, then Elon can keep control. They float this Starlink company um, and let some of us buy it in an IPO. I think that would be such a cool idea. I think we're on the cusp of that happening. And honestly, like, I feel kind of guilty that I couldn't get everyone else into SpaceX and that it's just so hard to invest in SpaceX, honestly, um, that it makes me kind of feel guilty. But I think it's going to be awesome, and I love the mission. Invest in the future you believe in. I want us to be Martians. So we're doing that. Okay, position number four. Um, this is going to be really crazy, and this is not something I'd planned when I made this episode, but it just is what it is because this isn't really an, as much of an investment for me. Like, part of this is kind of a trade just because I'm watching it to see what happens. Um, Unisocks. So... I am fascinated by Unisocks, this crypto sock token uh, that I bought for 60 bucks about a year ago from my homie Mike, that is basically there was three or 500 pairs printed of this sock um, of this incredible, like, you know, I don't know, I guess it wasn't that fancy, just like a $12 limited edition sock um, by Uniswap, which is in a decentralized exchange in the Ethereum network. Their first merch was this tokenized sock to sort of prove the tokenized model and launch their own merch, just a fun, quirky, cute project. Um, so I, I thought this was dope. It was kind of blowing up a year ago. My buddy Mike is like, check this out. I buy one for 60 bucks. Forget about it. Next thing I know, they're 4,000 a sock. I also got a dividend of 1,000 Uniswap tokens. You'll see that later in my portfolio. Um, but I was like, this is so, so dope. Like, I don't know. I thought I'm a big, I used to collect sneakers. Um, I really, I want, I wish I could collect art. I mean, I bought like a bunch of Tesla tequila, Tesla short shorts, the flamethrowers, the boring company hats. Um, I'm into collectibles um, because I just think that collectibles and products are really the new form of art in the cultural zeitgeist and are investable as an asset. And I think there's going to be a great um, sort of liquid, liquid, tidal wave liquidity that will hit the art and collectible market. Um, and that's why investing in them now is such a good idea. You look at what's happening with StockX. You look at what's happening with Unisox. To me, Unisox is truly the first um, technology that shows that the killer app of tokenizing something is for limited edition merch. And now there's a bunch of other copycats doing the Unisox thing with other sorts of products. But I think Unisox is like the Mona Lisa of this category and that it was the first one. It proved the model. It's like the Bitcoin of tokenizable collectibles on the ETH blockchain, which sounds so weird, but I think will become the status quo. I believe Yeezys will be on the blockchain and follow this Unisox model. And so, and that will just validate Unisox even more. So Unisox are a crypto sock token for a limited edition crypto sock, but are also a bet on the cultural zeitgeist moving towards crypto collect collectibles and tokens and the market cap of all the socks in existence right now, even though they're at 9,500 a sock, is you know, it's only uh, a couple million dollars. And so, I don't know, I think paintings sell for hundreds of millions of dollars. I could see the market cap of socks going to a couple hundred million dollars and it's hundreds of thousands per crypto unisock. I think that actually might happen. And that's why I'm long a couple of them because uh, I think also they're priced in Ethereum. So it's like, I didn't want to hold Ethereum. I wanted to hold a bet on top of Ethereum that had even more leverage. So to me, unisocks was like a way of leveraging my ETH thesis. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated by what this is and what this can become. 
And, you know, it's inspired me a lot. I'm about to drop merch for HyperChange. Everything we do is limited edition. Um, Everything's going to be super artisanal. Um, I want everything to be collectible. I want these to be as much fashion and art as clothing um, because I think that's, I don't know. So I have this weird kind of collectible thesis um, and Unisocks me as a way to play that. But I don't know. I might sell this very soon or sell some. I'm going to hold on to a few pair or like a pair or two, but I definitely want to cash out of some of my Unisocks because I think it's ridiculous. And um, yeah, next investment here, we got Daddy. So Daddy is a startup I invested in, um, but I had the founder on the show, um, Tom. He's awesome. It's a male fertility startup. And it took me so long to like understand what the hell this was. Like Tom emailed me about it. I'm like, daddy like okay like you basically you know masturbate into a cup they and you send it to them and they save it and they tell you your stats um and how your male fertility is doing and male fertility testing is what it's called and this is actually already a huge market and instead of paying two thousand dollars going somewhere in the doctor's office and then you know doing it and in the doctor's office pretty crappy experience and then being like a thousand bucks or more to store your sample at that doctor's office daddy was like no we're gonna go direct to consumer software is eating the world we're gonna go just disrupt this really legacy business that's sort of a healthcare business, but also really a consumer service business. Like the technology isn't rocket science to collect and then freeze. Um, it's just the UI is. And so daddy, by u- leveraging this new thing called the internet, sends you a kit. You can do it in your home, way more comfortable for $199, like almost an order of magnitude cheaper. And then you get a free year of storage and then it's 99 bucks a year to store after that. So they have a centralized model that allows economies of scale. They've innovated with this really awesome kit. I've already seen them have a V2 of the kit. So I'm really impressed with the pace of innovation. And I think the, the, it's, it's like, it's such a weird business, but like, honestly, like once you have all that data, I mean, I think the percentage of babies made in vitro will climb rapidly as the amount of data we can get from those samples increases. The company that is poised to capture the value of the increase in data from our sperm samples is the company holding those samples that begins to integrate technology in the way we analyze those samples. And so I think there's, I think we're at the, you know, we have babies the caveman way, so to speak right now. Um, And I think in the future, more and more technology will become integrated into that to make sure we have less diseases. Um, There's the whole super controversial thing of like, if you could choose a smarter sperm, when you do that? I don't know. Anyway, some weird sci-fi Black Mirror stuff, but um, I think daddy is in the helping people start family businesses. And as people have families later, as more attention gets uh, kind of destigmatized from like male reproductive health, which is sort of this thing that nobody talks about and that um, I think there's like a, a rebalancing that needs to occur where it needs to get okay to talk about, okay to get tested. Um, and I think daddy is the business to capture all of that value. Tom, the founder, sold his last company, iMoji, which sold to Giphy, which then sold to Facebook for a lot of the stuff that iMoji built, rockstar, superstar founder. So that's a company, and, and like, and that's a company that I watched for six months and then like begged and begged to be an investor and finally was able to just squeeze in a little of my own capital. And so, um, I just think they're they're hyper-changing male fertility and really hyper-changing how families are started. And despite them looking like a small startup with one service today, I see this being a huge, huge company, just so much potential there. Um, and it took me a while to dive into it. But anyway, I, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. And they're based in Brooklyn, uh, which is this dope part of Brooklyn. I don't know, but I like that. Um, Pure Watercraft. Okay, this is my other uh, n- number six here. Same size as Daddy. Um, this is a startup check that I wrote for this startup in Lake Union. I made a video about them. Um, 
I don't know. I'm just so, first of all, Lake Union is like, it's like 10 minutes from where I am right now um, in Seattle, my hometown. So I love that. It's just basically the Tesla boats. I mean, electric boats. Boats aren't electric. They're polluting. Um, they leak a lot of that oil into the water. Um, so in many ways, it's like almost worse than a car because like not only are they just polluting all this gas that we breathe and we're burning fossil fuels, importing those fossil fuels, but we're leaking like pollutants and toxins into the lake we swim in. And so I think more data will come out about that. I think the push towards electric boats as the technology gets there will become strong from government and from just grassroots community people. Like I'm already scheming on my Lake Lake Union right here in Seattle. I'm like, bro, like I want to swim in that. Why are there we letting gas boats in that lake? That's whack. Like I'm going to start a petition to make it only like electric boats. And I think that'll be every lake in the future. And so um, I visited them, hopped on the boat, loved their strategy of trying to bring a full boat to market, kind of failing, reworking it, just selling the outboard, partnering with existing boat companies. I think that's a better go-to-market strategy. Um, I mean, honestly, just this idea of like, boats aren't electric. They need to be electric. This is the leading company like doing it. I almost feel like it was like me giving a grant to like, I'm like the government should be funding you guys, but nobody is. It's private sector, but like I want to put money in this because when I want to swim in Lake Union, I want all the boats to be electric. So I'm investing in this. I want to help. Um, anyway, I love Pure Watercraft and what they're doing. And I mean, it works. Like uh, they're starting deliveries of their outboard this year, apparently. Um, and it works. I've been in the pontoon. It's sick. It's all electric. It's super quiet. I filmed an entire video with just my iPhone and on the lake and the acoustics were incredible. You wouldn't even notice that I didn't have a fancy mic because it, there wasn't that loud engine. There wasn't that smell. So I'm a, I love what their mission is. Um, I think pure watercraft, every boat should be electric. Um, and then also you might be like, well, what if Tesla does an electric boat? Isn't that going to put them out of business? Probably. But what I had to realize the thesis was of I can't not invest in all these electrification companies just because if Tesla put their engineers to it, they could probably beat them. I mean, the, fa the fact of the matter is Tesla's focused on what they're focused on. Um, they don't have extra engineering resources and uh, they have bigger fish to fry. Like a couple billion dollar boat company is not going to move the needle for their market cap. So I don't think they're focused on that too much in the near term. But you know, if Tesla sees this as such a big dope opportunity and gets inspired by pure watercraft and builds electric boats and all the boats on Lake Union are green and not polluting, then we did it. The vision has been accomplished. And even though I don't get money back for my investment, like I, you know, I feel like the future changed and uh, the world that I want to live in is there. So I get returned that way. So I don't know. That's kind of how I've rationalized um, investing in this green revolution because I don't, you know, I want to invest in all these green sustainable technology companies. Um, I'm just a fan of this entire movement. Okay, number seven, Uniswap. So this is, I got for free, no cost on this. 1.2% um, uh, of my portfolio. Uniswap uh, was also skyrocketing. So um, that the price went up. So that's why it moved up higher. But I'm just holding on to this because honestly, my buddy Mike has put me onto Uniswap. They're doing like more daily volume than Bitcoin. Um, they're wicked smart team built in Brooklyn. They launched the Unisox, which I think is like the coolest thing in crypto. So I'm just kind of hodling, hodling that uh, for now, um, just to see what's up with it. Anyway, and that, that's kind of like why I was a little bit rattled to make this video because it's like, it's not like it's a perfectly designed, like I didn't even know all these positions until today I like put them all into this spreadsheet to like make this video for you. Like I don't keep track of my portfolio like that. Like I invest in the stuff I love. I don't overthink it. I don't track my performance, which I think is probably controversial. But at this point in my career, like I just don't care. Like it's just going to get into my psyche, whether I'm up huge or down huge. And then I start thinking like, who cares? Like I own what I own. Do I want to continue owning that? That's a decision I make every day. Is this a fair price? Do I want to buy or sell what assets I what uh, I own? Let's keep doing research on them. It has nothing to do with how much my portfolio is theoretically up or down in this increasingly irrelevant fiat currency for the year. That is nothing. It's just, I think that's a kind of mindset shift. Of It's like when you watch CNBC or like some of these finance news programs and they're like, breaking news, the Dow's up 0.1%. 
And they're like, oh, okay, going back to talking about how much Tesla sucks. Um, and then Rivian's dope. Oh, wait, and, and Nikola's dope too. Oh, wait, we're getting a breaking news. The, the Dow's down 0.1%. Okay, thanks. Back to you, Tom. Great. Oh, breaking news. Dow's back up 0.1%. It's like, what are you? This is just a waste of focus. And so um, I try and keep my focus on just doing the due diligence and homework on the stocks and assets I own. And that is what it is. And I've kind of, um, as much as I am super concentrated and like, um, I want to take concentrated big bets to really expand, you know, concentration builds wealth, diversification preserves wealth. There has been a natural diversification that's occurred in my portfolio. And I just love dabbling. Like that's the phase where I'm at right now. Like I, you know, having fun should be your guiding principle in life, I think. Um, and for me, like dabbling with these startups is so fun. I'm meeting so many startups, hyper-changing all these little industries. I got to meet with the CEO. I got to tell the CEO what I'm thinking. I got to give them advice, ideas, whether they hate it or love it. Um, I got to have them on my show. I got to make content about them. I got an investor. I got to feel like I'm really investing in something that like needs my guap. Um, that is just so fun and exciting to me and incredible learning experience. Like I feel like the amount of learning you get to just scheme with all of these startup CEOs that are doing like the coolest startups I could literally find in the world here um, is such an unbelievable privilege. So um, that's kind of the phase I'm at right now. My personal investing journey is like dabbling with this startup thing and planting all these seeds. Um, and to be honest, like, I don't like, these are all really, really small checks. Like I would have never been able to invest in any of these companies if I wasn't a YouTuber, like being like, yo, I'm going to put out a video, I'm gonna do this. And then I know I'm like a hundred times short of your minimum investment, but will you take my tiny little check? Because I believe in you and I want to invest in you. And they're like, I will do the paperwork and get our lawyers on it for you. Um, just because you're going to make a video in your galley, whatever. So fair or not, I've been leveraging that as much as I can to get access um, and basically build like this like micro little nano portfolio of startups um, as much to just learn as to to invest. And like, I mean, at this point, my startup portfolio has literally just been like writing checks. Like some of them I have, uh, I'm an advisor in a couple companies called Public and Say, which I actually didn't put in here because I didn't buy them. I don't know, but um, those are really cool companies. But um, I've never gotten paid. Like, it's not like I've cashed out of any startup. Like, my, all these angel investments have just been me sending money to someone and then never getting anything back except for like a couple investor updates from the good companies, you know? So it's, I think the startup investing thing like sounds a lot more glamorous than it is. And um, yeah, and I started HyperGuap. I mean, many of you know from watching the channel, which is the vehicle that allows a private investment syndicate for accredited investors. I wish it could be everyone. Hit up the SEC if you got uh, problems with that. But <laughs> um I don't know. And, but I created this vehicle to where essentially if you want to piggyback on the startup checks I'm writing, you can um, at the same terms. And I think that's really cool because um, I'd love to open it up more, but even opening up to some hyperchangers instead of VCs is really cool. The startup founders that I'm meeting with talking to about HyperGuap love it. They love the concept. Um, so I think we're doing something really cool there. And then I have a lot more negotiating power personally to do funding if it's not just my, you know, couple thousand dollar check, this little micro check that's so annoying to take. If it's like, nah, I got like 500 of us, we're putting in millions, like all of a sudden it becomes a different conversation. We're like a real VC. And so that's kind of another reason why I want to do HyperGuap and sort of, anyway, it's still all early there, but let's moving on. on Spotify. So Spotify, um, I have some of my like IRA. I bought it a while ago. I think I'm up like double. I'm just hodling. Um, I love Spotify. I love what they're doing in the music industry. They're sort of pulling away from the record labels. Um, I think they're in the early stages of that and they're going to become potentially this Netflix-esque platform. Um, 
And I just love Spotify. It's one of my favorite apps. I listen to all my podcasts, music on it. I think it's really well built. They had such a lo like low chance of success, I think five or 10 years ago. Daniel Eck just hustling it out, just building this subscription business way ahead of its time and just beat it, getting to where it is today is already such a big success story um, that I think they have an incredible leadership team. I think they're only gonna get bigger and more important in the music industry going forward. I love music. I love their uh, mission of getting creators paid and having like a million creators connect to a billion fans. I think that's so just art. We need more of it. Um, so I love Spotify. Although I got to say from my financial perspective, I've been really scheming on switching my Spotify stock for Square. Nothing to do with Spotify, but I'm just like, damn, I deep down feel like Square stock's a 15x and Spotify's like an 8x in the next few years. And so I might make that change soon. Um, I, don't, I don't own any Square stock now, but um, yeah. Number nine, Bumblebee Spaces. So Bumblebee Spaces uh, made a couple of videos of that, them on the channel. Really cool startup. Um, smart real estate AI butler in your ceiling. Just 3Difying space, making uh, square, real estate square footage uh, cubic instead of square footage. And just this, I don't know, I, I love Bumblebee. I'm, I'm a huge fan of just like, you go to their startup, it's in the Mission District of San Francisco. It's just like them grinding on, the, it's like a hardware project. You feel like you're just at the start of something. So it would be the, the funnest place to work. Um, should definitely watch my video on them plugging, but you know, uh, I have such a fun time every time I go there. San Karshan, awesome CEO, uh, just great energy. And the problem they're tackling of making space more efficient and digitizing space, I think is a really hard problem. I think they're so ahead of the curve. I think the talent's incredible. Um, I actually kind of wish I had Bumblebee in my place just to maximize some stuff. So thinking about it as a customer, I've been intrigued, but still super early. Um, but I love what they're doing there. Just big fan of the team. Arkhamoto, number 10, Arkhamoto and Arkhamoto. Gotta love Arkhamoto. Can't say too much. I'm on the board of directors now. Um, love Arkhamoto. That's just, yeah. Love Arkhamoto. Um, holding on to my stock, Hoddle Gang, long term. Hopefully, I'll get my Arkhamoto soon so I can show y'all um, what's up with that. Um, number 11, Alloy Automation. So, Alloy Automation, a uh, startup that I got introduced to, friend of a friend, also Fourth Realm, shout out to them. Uh, just really, honestly, I, this was, I think I made the, I think I like heard about it and then invested in it in one day. The founders, Sarah Dew, just really dope. Saw her tweets, thought they were awesome, had a quick phone call, thought what they were doing, that a couple cool early investors, which in retrospect shouldn't have been a reason I invested, but I just thought the team was dope um, and they were hustlers in this no code space. Like my homie Julian and I um, had been scheming a lot on these no code companies and just how profitable some of them were and seeing how well that business model worked. And then just like, as we were scheming on that, like this dope no code investment pops on our desk or whatever. And so did that. Love Alloy Automation. Um, I think they're killing it. Although honestly, it's a little out of my wheelhouse. So I don't, it's hard for me to like, I'm not a customer. So anyway, but they're dope. Uh, Pigeon Loans. This is another one, number 12, uh, that I just invested in actually as like an angel investor. It was a hyper changer uh, named Brian who hit me up randomly out of the blue, told me he's starting this company. I got, he asked for a phone call. I was in a good mood. So I'm like, all right, I'll have a call with this random person. I get so many emails like that, but just something about it stood out. And then he like, I don't know, he just impressed me on the phone call. Cause I'm like, okay, so you're building this thing called Pigeon Loans, like this loan thing where you can, you know, lend money back and forth between friends. Like, why did you think this was a dope idea? He's like, well, my family was asking me for money. Like I needed to use it or whatever. And so he built it for himself and not, or, or wanted to build it for, because he needed it solving your own problem. And then he built it. Like he coded it. He was like, yeah, I built it and we're already using it. It works. And I'm like, okay, this is checking all the boxes. 
in my head of an amazing startup. Super young hustler, really sharp guy. Um, there, He's solving his own problem and he's doing it himself. He doesn't need to hire someone to build a thing. He's just doing it. He doesn't need my funding to do it. So then I kind of had a couple calls with him, followed him. Uh, for a couple months and then or not even that long really but then was like yo I'll invest if you if you're thinking about taking on investors let me know I'd be really interested and so one thing leads to another and I got to be like the angel investor and so I think that's a really cool app and I actually want to have Brian on the show to talk more about this peer-to-peer lending marketplace um, I've always had this idea even in like college um, we started this we tried to do this company called bump bucks where you could like send money to each other with an app it's basically what cash app is um, and then the real killer feature that there was a social credit score so I could lend you money as a homie, and then I could see your credit score, you could see mine as a lender, and we had create this peer-to-peer lending marketplace disrupting bonds. And I think that is a huge business that has not been created that I think Pigeon Loans is at the start of. So um, that's why I messed in them. Um, Pipe, this is a really cool concept uh, of basically securitizing your SaaS revenue um, as instead of raising like VC money, you could basically raise debt by securitizing your SaaS revenue. So for SaaS startups, a new alternative to VC financing. I thought this was so cool. It's totally been blowing up. Shout out to Neve because he helped me get me in this and put it on my radar. Um, and I don't know. I just thought this was a really dope concept. They're the first one to do it. A lot of really good early traction and customers. I was going to have Harry, the CEO on the podcast, but I don't know. I haven't heard back from them. I'm hoping Harry hit me up. Um, but they're just, I have never seen... Just the, it was such a unique concept and it got so much traction so quickly uh, that I, I don't know. I just kind of hopped on maybe, maybe a little FOMO involved there, but you know, you live and learn. And a lot of these startup investments, like I'm really like, it's really more the learning is the number one thing that I'm trying to get out of all of them, not capital, um, learning connections and fun. And so that when, I, when I say a lot of these are like kind of like whim investments, like it's really, really tiny amounts of money. And it's like, it's not like, you know, kind of the way I, I would say I do these investments is like scale in over time. Like that's the way I like to do companies, like follow the company, think they're dope, put a little money in, uh, follow them, watch them get bigger, watch them execute, watch the CEO actually do, you know, do what they say they're going to do, give them more money. Um, and so that's kind of how I'm trying to play uh, this startup investing. Although to this point, I've never actually made a fall on investment in a startup. So I'll let y'all know when that happens. Um, moving on, Rainbow. So this is looks tiny, but that's because these tiny ones were like way earlier in my career. Rainbow is my first ever direct investment. Um, I think it's going to be dope, honestly. And because Mike is just such a schemer, like a team of like Navy SEAL, like six coders building this on-ramp Rainbow app to the Ethereum network. It's basically Coinbase for cool, weird, quirky things. Um, that's how I bought my Unisocks. That's how I trade my Unisocks all on uh, Rainbow Wallet. I think Rainbow Wallet has an opportunity to be the fulcrum security um, in the Ethereum network of capturing value for all of the tokenization that's occurring for all the art and collectible space. You know, you need the sexy, beautiful UI to hold all these crazy, cool things that are being happening, uh, being built in the ETH ecosystem, and it didn't exist. And I thought the biggest friction to ETH adoption was that sexy UI that Rainbow is building, that's why I think they will hold the keys as the fulcrum security for the most value in this ecosystem because they will be um, sort of the wallet that everyone plays with and sort of the thing you connect with to make your Ethereum app work with, you know, all these other Ethereum apps. And so anyway, I'm a little over my head there, but I think Rainbow is just the work I've seen the team do. Uh, the app is like this fun combination of like Snapchat and Robinhood. Like, I just think there's there's a je ne sais quoi about Rainbow where I think I just love it. Um, and honestly, I really invest in them just because Mike was one of my friends and I just want to help out my homies. Like if my homies are going to take out a, I start a real startup and they're like, bro, here's this We're he was going to do YC Combinator at the time. Even if you're not doing YC, but you show me like the safe, that's the same terms as YC. Cause you're taking your startup this seriously. Like I'm just such a fan of that. And so 
Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm like, have some good words of like, if it's a good word of wisdom or advice, but like following your smartest friends and seeing what they're up to and kind of trusting them, or maybe that's not even just your friends, like people, like you're really investing in the founder, you know, it's not the business model. It's not this, it's not that it's the founder and their ability to hustle and just get shit done and solve problems. And so, um, yeah, you're really investing in the founder. Speaking of founders, Adams is my next one. Um, this is my first angel investment, but or investment, but it was done through an SPV, so it wasn't direct. Um, shout out to Neve for the intro on that. But they are, I, I don't know, I love Adams. I still wear my Adams shoes every single day. Um, they're amazing sneakers. The slip on and slip off thing, like you just slip on your sneaker and slip on off, sounds so simple. Game changer. Total game changer. Like all my homies, I, I make my friends take off my shoes and they come over, but they're all like untying, retying. I'm like, bro, this is so legacy. Um, so I love what Adams is doing. Super comfy, super simple shoes. Um, I just, you know, there's 8 billion people in the world. They need comfier, better shoes, all of them, right? It's a huge market. And so I don't know. I just love the team, love the product. I'm really excited to see what Adams comes up with in 2021. Uh, they came out with the masks. That was a pretty big pivot for them, or like they started doing a lot of mask production and kind of been blowing up that way. So that was really cool to watch uh, during the pandemic. <clears throat> Losing my voice. We got to wrap it up here. <clears throat> House, another investment. Shout out to Neve. Bougie Rosé brand. Um, I was at like this crazy celebrity party. That's not really my style, but I ended up at one and we, they had a house there and they were serving it. It was like the bougie it thing. I get an opportunity to invest. They're like, bro, Casey Neistat's investing. Like, do you want to put a little money to this bougie Rosé brand? Some of they have a hack where they can send this thing. It's like not really Rosé. It's like in between liquor and wine. And because it's below a certain percentage, they can send it. Um, in the internet. So it's a DTC alcohol brand that's really totally blown up during COVID, super artisanal. Um, and kind of this idea that you didn't have to have super hard liquor. You could like relax something a little less alcohol. So I don't know. I liked a lot of that vision. Yeah. So I thought house, honestly, the other big reason was their branding and their bottle was so dope. It's just such a dope bottle. Um, that I feel like it was just the bougie it bottle that I could just see blowing up. I mean, like this ridiculous, like house, this bougie rosé brown, like it's lemon, citrus, elderflower berry. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's the future. So maybe not like investing in the future you believe in, but I don't know. They do kind of, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with house, honestly, but I, I put in some money because honestly, Casey Neistat, I'm such a big Casey Neistat fan. Like I heard he was putting in the TechCrunch article. It was like Casey Neistat, bro. I'm like, all right, love Casey. So um, <laughs> maker, this, I haven't touched this weird crypto asset stable coin. Um, that's actually kind of bounced up with this new crypto run. Um, just thought it was a really interesting project. I'm definitely be kind of a little less bullish on it because the valuation is so high and their progress hasn't been that dope or as fast as I'd like, but that's something else I got. Number 18 community app. This is a really dope app that I thought the valuation was insane, but I, so I put a really little check, but now I'm realizing it actually wasn't insane. That would have been a really dope investment because everyone's using it. It's like when you see someone say text this number, they're the one who like does the software behind that. Um, I had Sam LaChow, one of my favorite rappers on the podcast. He said it's his favorite social network, his community. The engagement with his fans is off the charts. He loves it. He uses it all the time. So I think that has huge potential as a company and an app, just the community app. I would definitely keep uh, an eye on that if I were y'all. Um, I have one more random startup that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about because um, that deal just closed. And then my last one, and then I have another bigger deal that I'm doing right now that hasn't closed, so I can't put that in here yet either. And then also number 20, Snap, my my nine sh shares of Snapchat that I bought like at like 15 a share that are now 53. I don't know. I just, 
have been holding on to that. I love Snapchat. Um, I love the spectacles. That's pretty much the only reason I bought the stock because I thought the spectacles, Evan Spiegel, the stock market didn't get how they were. The user numbers were okay. Their monetization was going to ramp back up. They shrugged off Instagram stories. It was during that whole time. So I've just held on to those shares um, because I think Snap's still dope. And I'm still really hoping that they triple down and make better spectacles. I think this, you know, smart glasses are in between the, the smartphone and Neuralink. And there's, I think there's going to be a phase of smart glasses. And I, so I love what Snap's doing there with the R&D in the wild um, of those spectacles. So that wraps up the portfolio review, folks. Um, biggest position, still Tesla, Bitcoin. Now we got SpaceX in the mix, Unisocks. Who knows what the hell happened with those? And then a bunch of really exciting, promising startups. Uh, kind of want to take y'all behind the scenes, let y'all know what's up with my personal portfolio. Just sort of open book. And I'd love to know what y'all think. What are you What are you scheming? Um, what's your investing journey like right now? What are you dabbling with? What do you think is interesting? Um, I would love to know and just learn from y'all. And yeah, I can't wait to keep y'all updated on how this looks in the future. Um, I don't know, it would take me a lot to sell my Tesla stock. But now I'm actually, this video has made me think like, damn, like I haven't, like SpaceX was like, I thought it was a big bet when I was making it, but it's not, I have, I don't have a concentrated new position that's ready to go up 20X instantly. So that's bothering me, but this is HyperChange, Galley's Portfolio Review. See y'all next time. Huge shout out to our Patreon supporters, producers, fun in the channel. Y'all are amazing. 